And um, I want to deal with the uh, subject of uh, can a a Bible-believing church that holds true to the Word of God and to preach true doctrine, uh, can it thrive in today's society? And uh, we're going to look at uh, a couple reasons why some people think it cannot, and then we're going to look at some things from God's Word that perhaps will help us to understand that God can do a great work even in the day that we live. Matthew chapter number 16, Matthew chapter 16, and uh, we're going to um, begin reading in verse number 15, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon and guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. May we be challenged, may we be stirred, may we be uh, emboldened and strengthened by uh, the, the truth that we have to live by in the day that we live. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help uh, over the next few moments. Uh, to set aside any distractions or things that would cause our hearts and minds to drift. And a lot of people are tired today. And I um, pray that you would uh, keep uh, our attention and our hearts and our minds focused upon your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's been, uh, in recent days, a, uh, I would say in recent days, probably in, it would be better to say in recent years, uh, a movement of churches reaching out to the world to find out what the world wants in a church. And can I say this, that the world was not the one that founded the church, and so it should not be the one to dictate what a church does. But we're living in that time. Uh, It started a number of years ago, even back when I was in college. Um, One of the big-name fellows that uh, recently has retired uh, from ministry, but was part of that seeker-friendly uh, type of a church uh, mindset, came out with uh, the idea that we ought to, as churches, go out and go door-to-door taking surveys and finding out what do people want in church. And we uh, find that this was a what, what was perceived as necessary by a lot of churches because we were finding that the attendance in churches was beginning to drop off quite a bit, uh, even back in the 90s and uh, early 2000s, uh, church was declining. In fact, it is declining even now uh, at a much more rapid pace than it was even back then. And so people began to scramble around, and they said, "Well, we've got to we've got to find a solution to this." First of all, let me say this: it was never our responsibility to build the church. Uh, Jesus said, "Upon this rock, I will build my church," and it's His responsibility to build the church. Ours is to go and to share the gospel and leave the results up to Him. Uh, And uh, it's interesting to note how uh, man has assumed God's responsibility and has assigned their responsibility to God, it seems like. 
where they've basically said, we want to take what God has said He would do, and we want to do it ourselves. And so uh, they began uh, planning and talking and having conferences and meetings and began to discuss what is it that we can do to make our church successful. And uh, they equated success on three factors. One was the attendance, one was the finances, and one was the facilities. And as long as the attendance was up and the finances were up and the facilities were growing, they assumed that their ministry was being successful. But the Bible has a different definition of success. A definition of success is the measure of maturity of the people that are in the pews of the churches. And the reason we don't like that definition of success is because that's hard to measure. Uh, it's difficult to measure the level of maturity of somebody, but are they growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, are they drawing closer to the Lord? This is the measure of a successful church, a church that God is using, that God is uh, working in and through as an instrument to uh, uh, prepare and to, to uh, equip His people. Uh, Ephesians 4 speaks of this, that He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting is the word that is used there of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If there's one verse of Scripture that tells what the purpose of the church is and how to measure the success of that church, it would be uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Uh, but for some reason, we've gotten in our minds that success is numbers, or success is large facilities, or success is large offerings. Uh, but none of that is something that uh, the Bible teaches, is a measure of success. Uh, now, I believe that churches that are being successful can have good finances if that's what God chooses. They can have large numbers, and there's nothing wrong with large numbers. Uh, but that is not the measure of success. Uh, that is something that God may choose or to do or not to do in, in uh, time. But there's been a number of things that have uh, worked hard uh, if, if we talk about, and, and we've read this passage, uh, when Jesus was talking to Peter, He said, Thou art Peter, uh, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I kind of get an idea that Satan is doing an awful lot of things in the day that we live to, to cause churches to become powerless, uh, to have poor testimonies, uh, to negate the preaching of the Word of God, what little bit may go on in some of the churches that, that are around today. And uh, there are a number of things that Satan has used and that have discouraged God's people and caused us to sit back and say, well, are we never going to see God do a powerful work? Uh, government has made laws. Uh, local, uh, local municipalities have mandated some things that have... Uh, we, we consider them to be persecuting the church or uh, hindering the church. Uh, certainly the media of today is, is anti-God and anti-church and is brainwashing an awful lot of our society today and causing society as a whole to have a poor look at Christianity and the things of the Lord. Broken homes have certainly uh, become rampant in our society today and has destroyed the spiritual nucleus of the home. Uh, we see that uh, secular education is rapidly, rapidly causing <coughs> next generations that are coming up in our school systems to be anti-God and anti-Bible. And uh, there is not, uh, not a leaving out 
of the Bible being taught in our schools any longer. That used to be the case. But now there is a teaching against the Word of God and a disdain and a hatred for it uh, where people are speaking out in our public institution, our public education systems, and teaching our young people to be hating the things of God. Not just to be ignorant of them, but to hate them. Uh, seasoned pastors, men that used to teach and preach sound doctrine, are passing by the wayside, not having mentored an up-and-coming generation of young preachers to take their place in teaching good doctrine and teaching and following God's Word. And uh, I got a, 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 a brochure this week from a college that uh, I, uh, I actually got my degree from. And I was appalled uh, when I saw the, the, the flyer this week. And uh, had a picture of some of the young people on the front of it. And I could not tell the difference between this college and a secular college. And my heart broke. And I thought, uh, these are supposed to be the, the, the colleges that are teaching and training our young men and young women to come and be the leaders in the, uh, the next generation, those that will be pastors and pastor's wives of the next generation. I began to, to grieve this week as I looked at those things. And I began to see that we have failed. We've become so busy in doing the work of the ministry that we've failed to bring up and to minister young men and mentor young men and young women to uh, be solid biblically. And we've not taught doctrine in the level that we should, where young men and young women are not learning these things. And then they're sending them out to Bible colleges that uh, are not as solid as they should be and expecting them to remain sound as they go through it. And, of course, they're being uh, trained and taught in a different way and certainly not doctrinally sound. And then they're going into the pews of our churches. They're going into the pulpits of our churches. And they are making an influence uh, in a worldly sense of our churches today. And then there's the mindset of churches that just desire to have the worldly influences in their churches. Uh, they bring in uh, groups, uh, singing groups, and uh, people to preach and to teach that are not doctrinally sound and uh, oftentimes are even anti-Scripture and anti-Bible because it, 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 it brings in the crowd. It causes people to attend. And again, if their definition of success is the number of people in the pew, then that's what's going to motivate their decisions in these matters. And so the question comes up, is it possible in the day that we live with such an emphasis on uh, entertainment in our churches, with such an emphasis of uh, not teaching hard, sound doctrine or, or the deep things of Scripture, but just teaching on the fluffy things and the surface things and trying to make people feel good as they go out the door. Is it possible for a church today to, to thrive and to be uh, seeing the hand of God working and moving in its midst? And I would submit to you today that, yes, it is absolutely possible. And, in fact, I believe it is even what God is expecting. Let's take a look at some Scripture today and look at a couple of things. I'm going to share two things, and then I'm going to share a couple of things under the second one that I think will be a help to us. First of all, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter number 4. But we're living in a time, and I... In recent days, you know, I've had some uh, some physical things happen, and, and it's been difficult for me, and I struggle. There's been several services here recently that I've gone home, and I've been, Lord, I, I, I can't believe this. My mind doesn't work the way I want it to work, and I'm struggling with preaching, and it's difficult. Uh, but, folks, we are still in need, no matter what our physical abilities are, to stand strong and firm on the Word of God, and to preach it without apology, and to stand up and do what is right because it's right. 
And we're not going to excuse our our frailties, whether they're physical frailties or whether they're the influence of the world around us. We're not going to excuse that as a reason to bring the world into the church or to cause us to say we're not going to teach things that are sound doctrine or things that are maybe more of the meat of the Word for our people. Because we're living in a day where our world is starving for these things. Look with me in John chapter 4 for a moment. And I want to submit to you, first of all, that the, the church, the local church, is the institution, it is the instrument that God has entrusted the spreading of His gospel to. The message that the world still needs to hear, whether they think they need to hear it or not, has been given uh, into the hands and into the responsibility of His local New Testament church. Look with me in John, 1 John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. Uh, there is a, a, a uh, idea that is submitted here by John that not only has the truth been given into our hands, but it is now our responsibility, as we have received the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, to go and love those that are lost and share the gospel to them as well. We're to take this message of verse number 9 and verse number 10 and to share it and to propagate it wherever it goes. Uh, so I would say this, that God has not changed His method of presenting His, me- His message to a lost and a dying world. He established the church. He gave Himself for it. He loved it, the Bible says. And He gives the responsibility of the church. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground upon which truth rests. And the fact that we have been given into our hands the responsibility of the most precious thing that the Lord Jesus Christ has to give man. Uh, That ought to be a sobering thought to you and I. That God has chosen the frailty and the weakness of sinful man to be the vessel, to be the instrument, to be the thing that He has entrusted His eternal message of love and forgiveness to a lost and a dying world. And so I want to encourage us in this because I think sometimes in the day we live, we think, well, the time of, of God using churches to do His work is over. The truth is, He never changed that. It's always been that. That He uses churches to accomplish His work in this world. And it is what is the instrument that God has entrusted. So, make sure that we're established in this. Make sure we understand this and know this uh, for a surety. But the second thing I want us to notice, and we're going to spend most of our time this afternoon on this point, is that God is able. I, I could just stop there and we could say amen to that and it's fine. And it would meet the need. But I want to specify that God is able to empower His church to accomplish His work. Uh, I uh, was doing a little bit of studying for this message this week. And uh, I, I thought, well, I'm going to look up some, some ideas of God. And I, and I initially wrote this point down, is God is able to revive His church. And so I started looking up Scriptures on revival. You know, revival... It's not found, the word revive is not found in New Testament. It's not there. You know what we do find in the New Testament over and over and over and over again? 
is the fact that God says He will give His power to the church. That He will give His power to the work that's going on. Look with me in 2 Timothy. Let's look at a couple of things here. I don't believe that God ever expects us to be backslidden to the point where we need to be revival. Uh, we, several months ago, played a few uh, 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 clips of an interview of Brother Scott Pauley. And uh, he had written a book on uh, living the revival, or uh, revival praying, I think is what it was called. Um, and, uh, or living the revived life, something along that line. And his contention was this, that we need to live every day in a revived state, stirred up. Uh, excited for the things of the Lord, fervent in spirit. Paul told Timothy that he needed to stir up the gift that was within him. And so there is the idea. Uh, the psalmist had asked the Lord, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And I understand that there are times and there are illustrations of characters in Scripture that uh, uh, waned and lost some of the zeal and lost some of the excitement. Uh, uh, John, I believe it was, uh, or Peter, I believe it was, that said he would stir people up by way of remembrance. And I understand that there are times that we uh, need to have that thing rekindled and stirred again. But I don't believe that there should ever be a time that we should be without uh, the power of God resting upon His work and the work that we're doing. Um, look with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. <clears throat> and uh, let's go to verse number 7. Uh, go to verse number 6, I'm sorry. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Notice this, according to the power of God. The work, the, the labor of the gospel is to be done according to the power of God. Uh, we oftentimes, and I believe that some of the great frustration of ministry and some of the great frustration in the Christian life when it comes to the area of service is we do it routinely. We do it uh, almost out of um, uh, just going through the motions of the fact I know I'm supposed to do this without expecting us to be able to have the power of God uh, accompany the work of the gospel. Uh, if you and I, uh, as part of this local New Testament church, have been given the grave responsibility of holding the, the gospel message for a world that needs to hear it, then why is it that so often when we come to the service of God, we, we tend to approach it without expecting God to do great things? We, we negate. We don't even consider. Sometimes don't even... Think about the fact that the power of God is resting on His work of presenting the gospel. And yet here, as Paul is telling Timothy, he starts by telling him to stir up this gift. Uh, uh, he said, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. For he says, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. And I think this this this... Uh, being ashamed of the testimony of God and of His prisoner is tied with verse number uh, uh, 6 when it talks about the spirit of fear because He also deals with the power uh, the, of the gospel as He deals with uh, in verse 7, but power and of love and of sound mind. Verse number 8, He says, Nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us to a what? An holy calling. 
not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Uh, this, this plan that God had for you and I to be uh, the ones to propagate the gospel was something that God had planned from before the foundation of the world. And this calling is not according to our works. This calling of God is according to the fact that He purposed to do this. That we are to be the instrument of reaching this world with the message of the gospel. So, there's a lot of folks out there saying, well, church doesn't work. We're seeing a decline. We're seeing people fall away from. And I think that there are some reasons for this. Um, there's, there's no doubt throughout Scripture, and in fact, let's look at another reference here before I get into that. Let's look in Romans chapter 15 for a moment. And I wasn't going to share this one, but I think I will. Just I think it will fit well for what we're, what we're dealing here. Romans chapter number 15. Let's look in verse number 19 for a moment. Uh, let's, I'm going to back up uh, verse 17 and we'll jump into verse 19. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, uh, by the power of the... Notice this. By the power of who? The Spirit of God. Uh, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elycrim, uh, 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 I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So we see that the power of the Holy Spirit here is tied again in relation to the work of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He over and over and over and over again, and you check me out throughout the New Testament, you won't find the idea of the fact that the church needs to be revived, but you will find over and over again that the church needs to be reliant and dependent upon the power of God in propagating the gospel. That it go forth with power, that it go forth with might, and that we are dependent upon that in accomplishing the work. Now, there are some things that I believe uh, have been neglected in the day that we live that has caused the decline in our churches. And I'm going to begin with this one, that there has been a decline of exposing people to fervent faith. There has been a decline of exposing people to fervent faith. The Bible tells us in the book of James in chapter number 5 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much. I'm appalled as I've grown up and I've watched over the years. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. At how many times when God's power is not evidently seen, it's not apparently seen, it's not easily seen, that how often the young people that attended that church would not have any desire for the things of the Lord. In fact, they couldn't wait till they graduated, they got out from their, their Christian homes, and they went out and lived their own life and did their own thing. And I can point my finger to specific instances where God began to do a work in the church in some people's lives. And we began to see what we would call today a Spirit-filled revival. The Holy Spirit brought a stirring to the hearts of people. And people began to have fervent faith, the expression of fervent faith, that caused some great things. And I've seen with my own eyes, and I've watched as the young people who are exposed to people who have fervent faith, 
who have the zeal of God on their life, who have the power of God working as they are serving. I've watched as these young people have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. Jesus said this, He said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And the world is dying and starving today because we have in our churches a lot of times people who have faith enough to trust Christ for their, as their Savior, but then the truth is their faith ends there. There's no fervency of spirit. There's no, there's no testing God and saying, Lord, I'm just going to have faith that you're going to do this, and I'm going to launch out, and I'm going to go out and do the work, and I'm going to expect for your power and your might to give an increase. And oftentimes we just go through the motions. Well, I know it's what I'm supposed to do, so here's what I'm going to do. And we have the loss of fervency of faith and fervency of spirit in, in our churches today. I believe one of the great detriments of this world and one of the reasons why they are so easily swayed by the influence of media, by the influence of our uh, secular educational institutions, by the, uh, uh, by the uh, influence of worldliness creeping into churches, I believe one of the biggest reasons is because there is a lack of genuine fervency of faith in the pews of our churches. And I would say in the pulpits also of our churches. People don't see God mightily at work anymore. And so their faith wanes. It grows cold. And then the people that are looking from the outside at the church, who is the instrument that God has used to propagate this message of the Gospel, they're looking at a powerless, cold group of people. Why? Because there's lack of fervency of faith. And we wonder why. In the day that we live, we see churches declining by the, by, the, by the thousands, closing their doors. Over 1,400 of them last year closed their doors in the United States of America. Can a church, a biblically sound, doctrinally sound, Bible-preaching church, still thrive in the day that we live? Absolutely. But there's got to be some fervency of spirit. There's got to be some fervency in the hearts of the members of that church, of expecting God to do great things. God has, God has given His Word over and over and over in Scripture that when it comes to the preaching and the propagating of His gospel message, that it will go forth with power and with might. And we've neglected that. We've neglected it. And as a result, we've seen the church decline. Secondly, not only has there been a lack of uh, people exposed to fervent, uh, zealous, field, filled faith. But there has been a lack of churches staying true to their first love. Look with me in Revelation chapter 2 for a moment. Revelation chapter 2. And these, these are the letters to the seven churches. Uh, that John uh, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And in Revelation chapter 2, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And uh, in verse number 1, he says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy... What's the next word here? Works. So this church is busy. And, their, and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, 
and thou how and that and thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. And we would look at this description so far and say, here is a doctrinally sound, vibrantly working and laboring, serving church, would we not? But notice what Christ says here, verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. From all outward appearances, they were doing all that they should. They were serving, they were laboring, they were not tolerating false doctrine. And can I submit to you today that it is possible for a church to preach biblically sound, and it is possible for a church to be going through the motions of serving the Lord and getting out and passing out tracts and knocking on doors and sharing the gospel with people. It is possible to do that and still have neglected our first love. It is possible to serve and have lost the motivation of our service. He goes on to say, even in verse number 3, he, he even commends them for this. He says, Thou hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, and hast labored and hast not fainted. And so apparently there were even hardships that they remained faithful in serving. Now, I'm not discounting the importance of faithfulness in service, but I'm saying this, that it is possible to be faithful in service, to be doctrinally correct, and still have left our first love. And it's the leaving of the first love that causes the deficiency in the church. Notice he says in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He says you need to remember from whence thou art fallen. That, that zeal, that fervency of spirit that you had when you first got saved. I don't know about you, but I remember the moment I got saved and for days after that, for weeks after that. I mean, everywhere I went, I wanted everybody I knew. And even people I didn't know until people got tired of me. They actually told me, I had one teacher tell me, Greg, you've got to give other people a chance to give a devotion in, in home room because I just wanted to tell everybody. I was excited about it. There was a zeal there. There was a love. Let me use that word. Can I? It's the Bible word. There was a love there that I had at the very first, at the onset. That when I remember back to it, I get excited about that. And I think, boy, I wish I could serve that way again. It's not that I'm not serving. It's not that I'm not being doctrinally right or straight. It's just that maybe I've left my first love. And maybe that's been a big issue in the churches that we are in today. The world doesn't see a church that is thriving, a church that is growing, a church that God is using. And I'm not talking about numerically. I'm talking about where people look at that church and say, God is doing something in that place. And it doesn't happen by putting a better praise band on the platform. And it doesn't happen by bringing up all kinds of entertaining uh, object lessons and, and, and giving a lot of anecdotal uh, stories. It comes by teaching and preaching the Word of God with a heart that has its first love. A group of people that come together and when they walk through those doors, they're excited to get here. Because they get to fellowship with other people that are excited to be here. 
Why? Because they have their first love still. And it causes them not to do new works, but just to go back to do the first works. They were serving at the beginning. They're still serving. What was the difference? One of them was they were serving with a heart that just loved God with all of their heart for what He had done for them. Jesus is telling this church at Ephesus, you need to remember that. You used to be there. You've fallen from that. I know your works you're still serving. I know that you don't stand the false doctrines and you've tried them and you've, you, you've, you've, you've had discernment. I understand that. And you've been faithful in these areas. You've even held up under, under persecution and trials and you haven't fainted. He said, but the thing I have against you is you've left your first love. Can I tell you, I believe that we're living in the day where what good churches are left are failing because they've left their first love. Not because they're teaching wrong doctrine. Not because they're teaching wrong standards. Not because they're having the wrong music. Not because they're not out knocking on doors or handing out tracts. Simply because they've left their first love. There's been a lack of exposure to people, of Christians that have a fervent faith, a fervency about them. There's been a lack in our churches of staying true to our first love. And as a result of those two things, there has been a lack of the gospel being propagated with the power of God. There's been a lack of the gospel being propagated with the power of God. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, notice this, but also in what? In power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with the what? Joy of the Holy Ghost. There was a fervency of spirit in the sharing of the Gospel when Paul taught this. It wasn't Paul going through the motions of teaching the, the message and saying, well, uh, Thessal uh, Thessalonica, that's the, the next location we're supposed to go to. It's on my itinerary, so I guess we better go there. And I guess we better teach a message. No, Paul couldn't wait to get there. Paul was rejoicing in the opportunity to be there. He prayed for these folks. He rejoiced in the fact that they were a church that uh, had uh, been faithful. And he speaks of them uh, being faithful in verse number 3 in their patience. Uh, and the fact that they were teaching this, uh, this gospel as well in their work of faith. And he's excited about this. But when he preached the gospel in verse number 5, he says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. 
And I'm afraid that in a lot of our churches that are solid, that are sound Bible-preaching churches, that when it comes to the propagating of the Gospel message, we're diligent to do it in word only. But we lack the power of God. I want, to, I want to make sure that we're very, very careful of this. That we do not equate the power of God with a dynamic personality. That is not the same thing. People know when your heart is stirred and impassioned by the truth that you're speaking and when you're not. There is a difference. There are things that I love and when I begin to talk about them, I get passionate about them. And if you bring it up, we'll be talking for an hour about it. And, and I've had people sit there and grin when they ask me one question, and 15 minutes yet later, I'm still giving them the answer. And they grin at me, and when I get done, they haven't heard a word I said. But they laugh and they chuckle and they say, Boy, I can tell you really think a lot about that subject. And I tell you, that ought to be the way it is with the gospel message. People ought to know that there's something that has stirred us. That there is a fervency, that there is a, a zealousness of the message of the gospel because it's what God has entrusted us with. Can churches today that are doctrinally sound still do a work? Can God still use them in the situation, the culture, the society we find ourselves in today? I believe He can. But there's going to take some fervency on the part of God's people to remember what we used to have when we used to serve God with great love and with great joy. Where the message was so precious and dear to us for what it had done for us and we just couldn't help but want to let everybody in the world know about it. Well, if we could return to that. If we could be the church at Ephesus where God says, I have somewhat against it because I was left thy first love. And if we could do what God told the church of Ephesus to do, to repent of it, to turn from the, the, the word-only gospel. Notice the church at Thessalonica, Paul, Paul said that we didn't come just in word, and had he done it in word, he still would have had the gospel message out there. But there was something more than just the word of the gospel. It needed to be accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the work that the Holy Spirit did in and through that vessel of the Apostle Paul. Can I challenge us and charge us today that as we look on a new year of serving the Lord, we say, Lord, I want to serve with Your power. I want to have that first zeal, that love for You. I want to have that thrill, that excitement. You know, I, I, I've said this before, but to a Christian, sharing the Gospel with someone ought not to be something that we're nervous about or afraid to do. It ought to be one of the most natural things we do because we're so excited about it. Years ago, I was talking with my friend, Brother Wayne, and I've shared this with you before, but I wanted to remind you of what he said, and I think it holds true to everything we've just discussed this afternoon. His wife, Catherine, had passed away a few years before after several, quite a few decades of marriage. I think they'd been married about 60 years or better. 
And uh, we were talking about her one night, and tears streaming down his cheek. And he said, Brother Greg, we're never embarrassed to talk about the ones we love. And I thought, boy, if that could just hold true to our hearts. I've heard people say, boy, I just get so nervous when I go to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? I think it ought to be the most natural thing we do. It ought to be something that we just can't wait to tell somebody about. You say, well, I don't know what to tell them. Tell them what Christ did for you. Tell them the change He made in your life. Tell them the burden that He took off of you the day you got saved. I believe that we're living in a day where men have tried to contrive methods, programs, facilities that appeals to the flesh nature of the world. And we're reaping the results of it. When the truth is, we just need churches that know what it is to have a fervency of spirit when it comes to the things of the Lord. To have fervent faith. And then when we go out and tell somebody about the gospel message, that we just expect God's going to empower His message. He's just going to go before us and do a work. I want to encourage us as we look to a new year, if we've lost some of that zeal, and we all do from time to time, that we say, Lord, I want that again. Give it to me again. I want that excitement. I want that joy. I want that I want that, that spirit of hold me back. I just can't wait to get out there. <laughs> I remember I remember as a kid, every once in a while, you know, you, you got all your friends around, you don't want to lose face with them and some big bully's bullying you and, and you, you, you you buck up against them and you're wanting to fight them, you know, and you're like you tell your friends, Hold me back. No, I mean it, hold me back, you know, because I don't really want to but, but, boy, I'm going to get them like a bulldog. You know, I'm going to go get them. And that excitement, that, that, that drive. Can I tell you, I, I don't know that we ought to have that fleshly type of emotion about it, but there ought to be, there ought to be a zeal in serving God in sharing the gospel with others and doing the work that God has given us to do. And I think it ought to flow through the entirety of this church so that when people look at this place, they don't say, boy, what a great group of people. I, 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 we've tried to be careful. Even things we post on the Internet. I, I don't like to, to put up things like, come and have a great meal, or come and have the great fellowship. I want us to say, come and hear a message from God. Come and see God do a work. I want people to look at this place and to see that God is doing something in our hearts and in our lives. In order for them to do that, We've got to have God doing something in our hearts and in our lives. And so I want to encourage us in this. Uh, I believe that God has not changed in recent days the tool that He is using to accomplish His work. It is still His local New Testament church to accomplish His work. And I'll tell you this, if He ever does change it, you and I, I'm sure, will be the first ones to know. But until then, let's just keep doing what He's told us to do. All right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, may there, may there be a return to our first love. There are times that physically we get tired. There are times that even emotionally and 
And sad to say, Lord, even spiritually sometimes we, we grow weary. The battle grows heavy. The, the burdens are great. 